If you will, take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We will indeed continue our series tonight, and then at the conclusion you can tell that we've abbreviated the music just for a little bit so we can have some time at our installation part at the end of the service. Mark chapter 6. We pick up reading in verse 30, a message entitled, The Impact of a Mission Trip. If you will, let's stand together to honor the reading of God's Word. Mark records it this way. He says, The apostles gathered, excuse me, the God, excuse me, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were going, coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them. People ran there by land from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. So as he stepped ashore, he saw a huge crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it was already late, his disciples approached him and said, This place is a wilderness, and it is already late. Send them away so they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy, some, buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. They said to him, Should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and look. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he instructed them to have all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks of of hundreds and fifties. Then he took the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the bread, the, the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fishes. He also divided the two fishes among them all. Everyone ate and was filled. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love and your blessing. I thank you for all you do for us. And I pray, Lord, that tonight as we look in this text, I pray that you will once again speak a word to us that make us more like you. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, some of you may be confused about the the title of the message tonight because this morning we talked about that debauchery where King Herod had cut off the head of John the Baptist and and how he made that decision. But in the previous message, the one from last week, and if you go back to chapter 6, 
verse uh, like uh, um, seven, you find that Jesus sent his disciples out on a mission trip. And then the story comes up, and now they're getting back to him. And now some wonderful things start to happen. Because, you see, when people get on mission together, some wonderful things start to happen. You know, for the last number of weeks, we've been talking about church membership. And on Wednesday nights, we're studying that book. The first night is, was I'll Be a Functioning Member. Last, uh, um, last Wednesday night, it was I'll Be a Unifying Member. And I hope you'll plan to be here at 630 on Wednesday night as we continue our study through this book. But the point is, is that being a part of God's church, a member of God's church requires more than simply church attendance. Christ came to earth to give birth to the church. He died on the cross to start the church. And one day he's coming back for the church. That's a good place for an amen. Now, by the way, you may not be excited about that. But you'll either be excited or you'll be, it'll be, oh yeah, or oh me when he gets here. Because he is coming back from the church. One of the things that we forget is articulated by Henry Blackaby in the study, Your Church Experiencing God Together. Now, we talked a lot about experiencing God. Brother Morgan mentioned it. I've mentioned it a number of times because I'm just kind of, I'm actually not taking it like, he tells me I'm taking it much slower than he tells me because it's not a program. It's a process to really experience God. And uh, uh, in that experiencing God, how many, how many have read that or been through that? Half a dozen or so. There are seven, rea- seven realities that, that Henry Black will be put forth to each believer. First, God is at work in the world around you all the time. Secondly, God pursues a love relationship with you that is real and personal. Third, God invites you. God invites you to be a part of what he's up to. Let me put it that way. And and the, what I will tell you is that God speaks to you. Number four, God speaks to you through a number of ways. He speaks to you through the Holy Spirit. He speaks to you through his word. He speaks to you through circumstances. And he speaks to you through the church so that you can know him. God invites you to be a part of his work, and that invitation next will require, will bring you to a crisis of belief that require both faith and action. And that crisis of belief, number six, will require you, not suggest, will require you to make major adjustments in your life. And number seven, you'll, you'll come to know him by experiencing him as you obey him, and he fulfills his purpose and mission through your life. Now, those are basically the seven realities. Now, then that's just the individual study, but the, your church experiencing God together, I took my last church through it. We took Sunday nights and went through it. And one of the things to everybody's shock and dismay is that Henry Blackaby tells us that the church is a world mission strategy Center. I'll tell you, when that came up in study, even the founding pastor said, I've never thought about it that way. I mean, I want you to think about this. If the world is to know about Jesus, we're to tell them. The question then becomes, the convicting question comes, if every church, if every denomination, if every person 
had the same vision of reaching people for Christ as we did, how long would it take them to be reached? Or would they ever be reached? How long would it take to get the gospel in this town, let alone around the world? And then back in verse 7, you see that Jesus sent the disciples out two by two on a focused mission trip. And you're going, well, that's really good. And he gave them specific instructions. Well, that's even better. But I want to say this to us tonight, as lovingly and yet as firmly as I know how. If Jesus means what he says, and I suspect that he does, each day you live your life as you go into your corner of the world, whoever you encounter, you are on a focused mission trip for him. In fact, in fact, he even gave you instructions. He says, as you go into the world, in fact, since you're going anyway, make disciples. Hello? Does it get any simpler than that? As you go, since you're going to be out there anyway, Make disciples. You see, I fear, this is a personal fear of mine, I fear that in the church we have soft-sold what it means to follow Christ for so many years that many people were not told that when you come into Christ that now you're a missionary. When you come into Christ, you now have uh, an expectation of Christ to follow him, to grow in him, and to reach out for him. But it doesn't matter what we're being told if we truly know Christ. We have been given both the command and the commission to go and make disciples. I submit to you that one of the reasons churches are dying, I want to submit to you one of the reasons Christianity is dying, I, I submit to you one of the reasons this, this country is dying, is that in large measure God's people have abandoned their commission and their command. We've become content inside the four walls. Now, I just would like to know, irrespective of the number of people that we don't touch and don't reach, and irrespective of the fact the gospel may not get out on our watch, does it frighten anybody else besides me? And I'm sure it does. But does it frighten anybody else besides me that if we don't give Jesus to our culture, they probably won't get him. And I say all of that to say this. Every day, you and I are on a mission trip. Every day, we're on that focused, purpose to mission trip from the Father to do some wonderful things for him. And when we get that mindset, some wonderful things happen. I mean, I mean think about it, folks. How many times have you seen people go off to Zimbabwe or to the Holy Land or to Mississippi or to uh, Kansas and they come back and they're fired up for Jesus. They're ready to charge hell with a water pistol because they've been involved on the front line of mission and now they come back with fulfillment. They come back with purpose. They come back with motivation. Now, let's get to our text. Did you think I was ever going to get there? Jesus sent the disciples out. He gave them specific instructions. And now in our text tonight at 30, they begin to come back. So I want you to see some things, just two things. First of all, I want you to see the return from the mission trip and what it was like. The return from the mission trip and what it was like. 
The disciples came home. His mission team came home. And he called them together. Why did he call them together? For two or three reasons. First of all, the report. <laughs> First of all, the report. Now, we know about reports like this. We have teenagers that go off on camps, and they come back report and report. We have mission teams that go off on mission trips. They come back report. We have people that go to seminars, that go to visit trips, and they come back and re- make a report. And one of the reasons that they come back and make this report is to encourage one and all of what's going on, to encourage each other of, of, of what's going on, what God is really doing. They came together to tell what God had done in them, for them, and then through them. I wonder if there's a person in this room who could who could not stand and tell right now what God has done in you, for you, and what He is doing through you for others. One of the reasons that those reports were given was to encourage one another that they knew God was at work and to remind us. May I say this? The reports are given to remind us of how much we need each other. No man's an island. No believer's an island. How strengthened we become when we work in unity and we work in harmony and we share together. When we are on mission in another country, that is great. But watch this. When we get on mission in our community, Sundays and Wendy's become a time of encouragement, a time of report, and a time of hope because we're hearing of what God is doing in our hearts. And when God does something in and around and through you, you need to tell somebody. You want to tell somebody. You know this, and you realize this, so it begs the question. If God is at work in His people, can you see Him at work in you, where you are? They came back and gave a report of what God was doing. But He didn't just stop there. Jesus looked at His disciples and He said, Heard the report and he saw the report. They gathered around Jesus, reported to him all he had done. And so what did Jesus do? He said, man, you need to go right back out. No, he didn't. Watch this. The retreat. He said to them, come away. He said, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest a little while. You see, the disciples went out and they worked, and they worked very hard. Now, it wasn't driving nails. It wasn't toting trees. It wasn't that physical labor. But you need to never forget that soul work is difficult work. It is exhausting work. And you know why that is? Because it is heart work. One of the major realizations for me 40 years ago when I got into full-time Christian work, when God called me into the full-time Christian work, was this. I've been taught all my life that you work with your body. You're not really working if you don't work with your body. Anybody know what I'm like? we got enough. I know there was a redneck birthday party in the town yesterday, so I know we got enough of us rednecks there to know what I'm talking about. It said, you don't work with your body, you don't work. But you know what I found out when I got on the church staff? I could go home at night and be totally exhausted. 
because my mind and my heart had been in his work all day long. Soul work is very hard. But to boot, these guys, when they got back and they were fatigued, the Scripture tells us that so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have time to eat. And Jesus knew they were exhausted. He knew they were fatigued. And he said, let's get away, come away, and let's take some time. Now, I want to, I've already read verse 31 to you, but I just want to say something very pointed to us. Jesus said, come away, not go away. I fear in those times when we want to take retreats, we take retreats from the wrong one. In fact, I'll tell you, about 15 years ago, I was in a church where when a man took a vacation, he didn't have to leave town. But Rodney, he wouldn't come to church if he was on vacation. You see, the truth is, your vacation, your retreat, your trip is pointless if you take it away from Christ. You see, sometimes we need to get away and be renewed and get some rest. But the very one who can give us rest, the one who can renew us, is our Heavenly Father. If we have that love relationship with Him that he offers to give. I mean, think about it. Even God rested. He created the world in six days and he rested on the seventh. The retreat takes you away with him, not from him. And when you return from a mission trip, truth is, I find few, few people that want to get away from him. But there's one last thing that I suggest to you. When they came back, they gave the report, and then they, he called them away on a retreat. But now here's the reality. Here's the reality of returning from a mission trip. <clears throat> Before they went, people were not responding. Before they went, they did not understand the magnitude of the, of the work that they had been called to do. Now they're back. <laughs> and all of a sudden, people are getting it. All of a sudden, they're understanding it. It says, many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they decided to go on the retreat. So they got in a boat to go all by themselves. And people saw where they were going, and they ran by land. And when he stepped ashore... He saw a huge crowd. You know what? After the mission trip, these people were beginning to understand that Jesus and his disciples really cared about them. As I sat and meditated on this text and, and about that truth, I just wondered if that's what's wrong in society today. I wondered if they're really unsure of whether the church really cares about them or not. See, it's, it, I believe that we're in a church full of people who are looking, I and mean, we're in a world full of people 
looking for someone who really cares. They're not looking for the smartest, the slickest, the strongest. They're simply looking for someone who by their words and their deeds give the message that I care. It's true. When we go on a mission trip to a neighboring state or a nation, we get over there and, boy, we just fall in love. I remember in 1975, the first mission trip I ever went on, we were in Cantonment, Florida. Deborah and I had just gotten married. And we went to Philadelphia, Mississippi, to the Choctaw Indians. Now, I understand the Choctaw Indians today are, rich, are a rich tribe because of their casino. Back then, they lived in poverty. The first two days of our VBS for those kids, we had a pile of them, probably 100, 150 kids. They kept us at arm's distance. But when they saw we cared, by Wednesday, we were almost like family. And you know what? It, when you come back from that, you come back with a change in you. May I say this to you? Nations and states and communities and people groups, there are all great mission fields. But I'm just going to say this to you. There is a great mission field right here. 1968, 1960, I believe it was 69, Bob, a man named Bob Oldenburg broke through the genre of music and wrote a youth musical. We still have one in our library. We still have a copy of this back in the library. It's first folk musical ever written. I'll never forget listening to the long play album and it had a decidedly country beat as it opened and we thought that was the coolest stuff since Cucumbers. Man, it was just great. But you know what the the invitation of that musical, it was written for that musical, was granted hymn status about six years later. The words of that, the invitation of that musical said this, Do you really care? Do you know how to share? With people everywhere. Do you really care? Because people grow up in darkness, longing for the way. And they just need someone to share with them today. If I were to ask you, do you care, you would say yes. I don't doubt that about anybody in here. But let me ask you, let me ask you a little more pointedly. Did you care enough about someone this week to invite them to God's house today? Did you care enough about them to say, hey, you come, I'll take you to lunch. I'll sit with you. I'll meet you out front. Is your Sunday school class, is that a reporting time for what God has done in you throughout the week? I submit this, that if our little community really detected that God's people really cared we probably don't have enough buildings and lands as an aside you don't start big as an aside Jesus sent his disciples out when few or nobody was responding and now because they've been out there 
People were coming from all over because those in the way of the mission had been changed and those who had gone out on mission had been changed. And our Lord calls us to change, to return from the mission trip. You know what happens when you come back off a mission trip? You come back and you report, maybe you rest a little bit, and maybe you see the reality of what's going on around you, how God's working. But in our text, we see the second thing, the refocus from the mission trip. The refocus from the mission trip. When Christ's disciples, when Jesus, the disciples of Jesus return from the mission trip, the response of Jesus teaches us much about how we should respond and be. And when I read through this text, I am reminded of all of three things. First of all, I'm reminded of the heart. It's not the heart that pumps here. It's not that physical organ. It's the heart of Jesus. And I'll just say to you, oh, to have the heart of Jesus. Oh, to feel like he feels. And yet I believe deep in my heart when I, when I see my life as a mission trip, I believe that I develop the heart of Jesus. Watch this. It says, So as he stepped ashore, he saw a huge crowd, and he had compassion on them. You know what I think? Every time that we read about Jesus seeing a multitude, he's always moved with compassion. You know why that is? It's because he cared and he cares about people. He cares and cares about people because God sent him on a mission trip to redeem the lost of mankind. It's an ongoing, it's an all-time mission trip. It is... Uh, who he is. It is what he is sent to be. It's what he calls us to be. And if we have love for him, if we have love for our church, if we have love for our fellow man, we'll fulfill that mission. Can I just ask a question? Why is it so difficult in our context to invite people to church? Why is it so different to com difficult to comprehend that if we don't invite people and we don't reach people, they may not get reached. Why is it so difficult for us to tell someone what Jesus has done for us? The answer is found in our heart. What it is in our heart? The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so easy. So my question is, what is it that's permeating your heart today? I mean, when we take part in God's mission, even just for a little bit, it changes our heart to the place we begin to see people like Jesus sees people. And Jesus always sees people and is moved with compassion. I'm afraid that before this mission trip, I'm afraid the disciples... The disciples might could have been summed up in the words of Isaiah 29 before we experienced a mission trip. I wonder if that's true. I mean, Isaiah 29 says, they draw near me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But here's what I'll say when we're on a mission trip for him, 
It changes the heart and it changes the life. And believe it or not, folks, please listen. You can tell. Others can tell. People know where your heart is by what it is you remember and what it is you forget. I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I don't, I'm going to be candid with you. I'll always try to be honest with you. I'm going to be candid with you. I don't know this to be a fact, but best I can tell from all that I've read, August 31st is the day that many people have been waiting for in this state for many days. What is August 31st? Football. That's sir. I didn't have to tell people. It's opening day of college football. Now, if I hadn't reminded you of that, would you have forgotten it? Don't answer that, you'll give yourself away. Those who don't like football say, no, I didn't even know anything about it. Well, you're right, but you may have something else. The truth is, we don't forget what's really in our heart. We don't forget what we really care about. We don't forget, now we might forget birthdays and anniversaries and and, uh, even holidays or church events. But there are people that won't forget August 31st no matter what. Because it's in their heart. Some of those same people will say, you know, I can't, you know, Brother Jerry, you talk about us experiencing and knowing God, but I can't seem to do that. But you know when you'll experience and know God? When you do it the Scripture way. The Lord says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your You see, that was the heart of Jesus. That was to give them the heart. The heart for people, the heart for him. That's what being on the mission trip, even locally, is. But when I read this, and, and you see that in that where, where he uh, was moved with compassion because there were sheep like a shepherd, and there's a whole other message there, sheep without a shepherd. Sheep are dumb animals. You think it's a compliment for us to be called the sheep of his pasture? Sheep are dumb animals. And a sheep without a shepherd is sad. Jesus moves from the heart, I believe, to the head. We can see it in this story. Because the truth is, practically speaking, Jesus and his disciples were now facing a big challenge. They had tried to get away and watch this 5,000 people had shown up. And, and excuse me, 5,000 men plus women and children had shown up. And they were in a remote place, and everybody was hungry, and they needed something to eat. They came and and heard Jesus, and I guess somebody asked about dinner. Probably a Baptist meeting. Out in the middle of nowhere, and they asked about dinner. And what followed, I think, is kind of a humorous story. I I can imagine the the pragmatist disciples coming to Jesus. He sent them away so they can go get something to eat. And Jesus said... Give them something. And that pragmatic Baptist disciple said, don't ask us to cook. We're not going to cook. Send them away. Nope, you do it. And they said, wait a minute. It's going to take too much money to feed these people. In fact, that figure in the Bible is probably nine to 12 months of salary for the average person. We can't afford to do this. Wouldn't you have loved to have been in the group where when Jesus said that? Wouldn't you love to have seen old Judas's face? As he probably hid and was hanging on to that purse so they wouldn't have to spend that kind of money on something that would get them no return at all. 
You see, the disciples were thinking like humans, and Jesus was thinking about the divine. In fact, the Bible tells us not to think like humans. And When Paul wrote to the Philippians, he said, Let this mind be in you that's also in Christ Jesus. When he wrote to the Romans, he said, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he said, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. You see, earthly thinking, human thinking always says, We can't do it. Heavenly thinking says he can't fail. If we get his heart and his head, if we believe and obey, do you know what happens? Jesus takes those five loaves and those two fishes and he feeds what is arguably 15,000 people. Can you imagine what those disciples were like as they were feeding those people and feeding all these people? Not everyone get anything for myself. There's not going to be any left over. And how am I going to look at them when there's not enough to go around? And they just kept on mumbling and they kept on complaining and they kept on feeding. Here's what I want to say to you. They obeyed him. They did what he said. They didn't argue. They didn't talk back. They let him lead them. Because you see, folks, when we get on mission with Him, it affects all we do and affects how we do it. I wonder, in our human thinking, in our human mind, I wonder how many times that we've missed our seeing 5,000 people fed because of our lack of faith, because of our lack of obedience. Story from last week where Nazareth, where Jesus couldn't do much in Nazareth because of their lack of faith, haunts me every day. It may not be that we should check our resources before we decide to do something. It may be that we should check His will and His resources because it is still true. Little is much when God's in it. Finally, the heart of Jesus, compassion on people, the head of Jesus, to think and to know and to do what he wants us to do, and we finally get to the hands. The hands. (laughs) As I read down this story, and I see the problem of the 5,000 hungry people, and I see him trying to get them to give them something to eat. And he finally asks for the five loaves and two fishes, and they bring it to him, and he blesses them. Blesses the loaves and fishes. To me, this was indeed a teachable moment. So Jesus said, uh, put them in small groups. Put, can you imagine how many groups if there were 50s? Can you imagine how many groups, if they were 50s? A lot of groups. Put, put them in small groups. And, and do that so nobody's left out. All through God's Word, we see them putting them in small groups so that nobody's left out. So it can be efficient and effective. And then he took the bread and the fish in his hand, and he looked to heaven, and he asked God to bless it. And then he began to break it. And he gave it to his leadership team, and he told them to distribute it. And they began to distribute it to the people and the work was being accomplished. You know, in just a moment, we're going to 
conclude our service tonight with with our Lord handing loaves and fishes off to our leadership team. We call them deacons. I view the deacon body as an extension of the pastoral staff. And any deacon that's ever served with me as his pastor that's given me a half an opportunity know that I do not ever, I never hesitate to ask deacons for assistance. I never hesitate to put responsibility on them to help to help them help others. It helps them grow and help others be ministered to by the church. Our deacons, between them, have 24 hands to serve. They try to serve the Lord by serving you. I ask you, though, are you on a mission trip? Are you on a mission trip for the Father? You see, the truth is, I don't know what you've been taught about this text or anything, but the unbelieving disciple might have wound up with a little bit of food from five loaves and two fishes. However, they saw him do a miracle. And because of their belief, because of their obedience, they received more than they could ever have imagined. They served, and they served, and they served, and they served, and they did this because of the mission trip they had been a part of. It is with sadness that I say that many people, some perhaps believers, cannot give a report about their mission trip. When we call for times of testimony, when we call for times that people report, they can talk about friends, they can talk about families, they can talk about churches, they can talk about preachers, they can talk about songs, they can talk about loved ones. But somehow they never get around to reporting on what Christ has done in their life. How, how Christ has used them to invite and reach people. You see, even though Christ calls all of us to be on mission, some have not gone. As harsh as it sounds, sin is a constant companion to those who have not been on mission because the Bible clearly says to him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. I think about those disciples and they were so worried about they were so worried about feeding these people. They were so worried about their own needs. And by the way, how many baskets were left over? Twelve, one for each disciple. When we sell out to him, the impact of being on mission for him is beyond imagination. Now all of a sudden, instead of Jesus doing all the work himself, watch this. He now had a, a dozen helpers to fulfill the Father's mission and ministry. Are you a part of that dozen? Yes, we'll have a dozen uh, deacons serving this next year. So if the deacons do it, boy, that's good, but what about you? It will impact your life like you have never 
never, ever imagined. Let's pray together.